market. The S&P. The stocks. This is Motley Fool Money. Welcome to Motley Fool Money, the podcast that would spin off its US oil business if it had one but has already had far too many bad experiences with Spin the Bottle already. I'm Andrew Page, and with me is Scott Phillips. G'day, Andrew. G'day, Phils. Those stories will be best left untold. Oh, man. It just gets worse every week, doesn't it? (laughs) Today on the podcast, the latest twist in the telco wars. TPG is in there and shaking things up a bit. Maybe. Mobile phones will get cheaper. Maybe they will. We'll have a look at that. BHP shoots higher on rumours of a reshuffle. How does that work? We touch on everyone's favourite topic. We can't go a week without talking about property. <laughs> we're going to do it again this week. Oh, dear. Stay tuned. Um, you know it. You know it. It's coming. Be good. And we're going to open the mailbag, too. We got a question from Joe on ETFs, and we'll do our best to answer that. But first, Scott. Yes, Andrew. This week, Telco TPG, um, led by founder David Teo, the yes. reclusive billionaire is what the papers <laughs> good, isn't it? like to call Always him. Almost as good as rag trader. They talk about Solly Lewis, the, right. the, the rag trader, the genius rag trader. David Teo, the reclusive billionaire. The rec- I, like I like it. It's, good it's got a very um, Bruce Wayne type. <laughs> Have uh, you ever seen Batman and David Teo? I haven't. At the same time? I haven't. I, I just, I'm just putting it out there. Okay. Okay. David Teo may just well be Batman. <laughs> He's certainly the Batman of the business world. He has done <laughs> such incredible things with TPG. He has. And yet, he comes out. Yeah. Well, TPG comes out and they say we're spending one point two billion dollars on with mobile spectrum. Plus. Now, now, the government put this... Well, there's more to come. Right, the right. government put this out. I think the the reserve for this auction was something like $850 million, I'm going to say. Like a house auction. In the, go, go, for, go, for, go for 50% above reserve. Well over the reserve. So Look a out. huge surprise, a lot of uh, analysts and, and commentators out there. Like On top of that... Turac, that one. What's that? One. Like a good unit in Turac. Exactly. 50% it's, above you reserve. You know it. Go you on. know it. You know, and, then, and then they've got to actually build the damn thing as well. That's yep. going to be about $600 million in a couple of years worth of work as well. So we're knocking on the door of two billion dollars here and this is a company that's market cap the, the value of all its shares is only six less than six billion right. so effectively a third of its market cap a third of its market value yep on building out a new mobile network a duplicate mobile now there are Indeed. mobile networks out there i've heard of those there are, telstra is the big one <laughs> heard right? of them too okay so we'll, we'll come back to that actually let's start with telstra because the, the reason we have to talk about this is telstra is a very widely held share out it there. is a lot of people have one got of the, it. probably one of the large most widely held shares, I would It's imagine. always called sort of the mum and dad um, type stock. You know, Indeed. those, those uh, demutualization that sort of occurred. Everyone got a bunch of shares. It, a lot of people have got, and it's been that income darling. Yep. Um, you and I have both recommended it. I think, yes. Do you think you're a shareholder? I am a shareholder, shareholder just yes, for full totally. disclosure. Yep. Um, uh, Not of TPG, though, just of Telstra. Okay. Yep. Uh, and shares yes. dropped. 7% yesterday. So TPG shares were in a trading halt, and we're recording this, we should say, on, on Thursday, so yesterday being Wednesday. Um, yeah, that's right. We had a, the, the shares were in a trading halt for TPG, but Telstra shares. That's a, that's a $4 billion, like, like, as the press likes to say, $4 billion wiped, wiped off. off. <laughs> wiped off the value of Telstra. Indeed. Holy moly. Okay, so the first thing I would say here Holy is telco, Batman. The, the, the thing that's interesting, the, the, the thing that's really interesting about this is that this I think this is a negative for Telstra. We'll yep. come back to that. But it's kind of a negative regardless of how TPG do on this front. If this is a real win for TPG, obviously that's not good news for Telstra. Yep. If they completely balls it up, it's still going to hurt them because you've got someone out there, no matter how irrationally, right. scrambling to capture market share and very, very likely, given the business model of TPG, offering ultra, ultra bargain basement type prices and therefore putting pressure on margins for Telstra and the entire industry. That's right. The easiest way to look at this is you think about the airlines. 
difference, right? Back in the day, even as far back as Qantas and Ansett back in the day, mm. when a new player turns up, what happens? Well, no new players have been successful other than Virgil when Ansett went broke. So that, that kind of helps if you're, if you're the new guy. Um, but whenever a new entrant comes in, either before or since, they come in and they offer low prices. Yep. So what do the major airlines do? Well, they have to drop their prices to, to compete. compete. Now, thus far, in the airline industry, at least, they've been able to force out the other player. Mm. Again, as I said, except for the massive uh, exception of, of Ansett. But they've, they've, they've forced out the other player by dropping their prices because mm. they've had to drop prices to compete and to try and stop the new guy stealing a whole lot of market share. Yep. And that's very likely what will happen with the telecom market, with mobiles in particular, when TPG enters the mobile phone space in a couple of years, we should say, not, not just yet. Um, it's very, very likely that all of a sudden Telstra, Optus, Vodafone will say, well, we can't let the new guy come and price these plans at, at a fraction of what we're offering. Yeah. We're going to have to drop our prices to compete, if nothing else. And even if we do successfully compete, yes, it'll still hurt our margins. If we don't successfully complete, compete, it'll hurt our margins and it'll hurt our volumes. We mentioned it with Amazon last week, I think it was, right. you know, um, uh, the saying, maybe you know, your margin is my opportunity. <laughs> yes, when you've yeah. got a brand new spanking network with no one on it and all the capacity in the world, you know, every 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 person you bring on is a win. You're not coming from a level of higher margins already. So they they are going to prosecute that. And David Teo's is the man to do this. So yeah, here's the thing about telcos, right? So th think about think about any business. Think about um, any competition, any disruptive competition. Mm. Let's say in the telco industry, the average margin is call it thirty five percent, for a picking number, right? Yep. If you're Telstra, if you make thirty percent instead of thirty five percent, your profits fall. By twenty percent, from thirty five to thirty, it's a twenty twenty percent fall in profit. Mm. So if you're if you're if you're a company listed on the ASX and you say to your shareholders, make twenty percent less guys, that's a real problem. Yeah. Shareholders go, well, that's not very good, guys. You, you better fix that. Now, yeah. if you're new in the industry, mm. and you come in and say, I'm happy to make a twenty percent margin. Yeah. It's almost half of what Telstra might currently be making. For example, these numbers are hypothetical, but stick yeah. with us. They can make money at twenty percent and more money than they made last year. So there's no pressure as long as you're making incrementally more money and covering your costs. Then you're, you're sweet. And so we're always, always in any industry, high, we like high margins as, as investors. Hell yeah. But it absolutely invites competition. If the those competitors want to compete at yep. a lower margin mm. and take your business away, they can. And often the only way you can compete is by dropping your own margin to match. And that right there is why the telcos, the profitable telcos in particular Telstra, does face some challenge from TPG. Yes. And and look, we, it should be said that the mobile division for Telstra is its best business unit. Correct. You know, my country mile, frankly. It's, it's just been doing great guns there. They've got a real advantage, easily the strongest network in Australia. That's been able to uh, enable them to charge a little bit more. Yep. Um, it's given them access to markets where no one else, like if you're especially out in regional areas, I mean, who else are you going to go with, right? It's 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 Telstra or bust. Correct. Now, we um, should say this isn't just bad news for Telstra, though. We, we kind of painted this horrible well, apocalyptic picture for I, Telstra. I wanted to start with, I, I think the objective fact, if I can use that that term, that this this is this is not a, a positive news for Telstra. Um, but it, where it, where it gets a little bit interesting is that we we talked about a, a lot about this yesterday when I went down trying to get our heads around it and the likely impact and the rest okay. of it. You get to a point here with Telstra where I, I think we, we've got to split it in two. Every, everyone tends to make these comments that it's X growth, that it's a dying <laughs> business, et cetera, et cetera. And look, I think there's actually a lot of truth to all of that, frankly. I mean, I, I certainly don't expect- There's a lot of truth to it being a dying business. Not, not to that part of it. There's a lot of truth <laughs> to, to growth being a very, very um, a difficult thing to come by now. When you're already yep. the largest, um, you're the incumbent, they're, you know- You've lost your monopoly status on, on the wholesale network. Yeah, you know, it's where does the growth come from? And I think that's an entirely fair point. But then it's a mistake to automatically think that that means it's a terrible investment. I mean, is there anything it comes down to the price. Now, admittedly, both, both of us made this argument when the price was higher than it is today. Um, but I think, I think it still makes sense when you look at a business that is, let's face it, at this point in time, offering, what, a 7% fully franked yield? That's 10%. Yep 
just in income alone. Growth up, year, growth up. Yep. Um, I think there's a very uh, reasonable chance that dividends do get cut in the next couple of years. But I would say even a 25% cut leaves you with an 8% growth up yield here. You're getting to a situation where you've got one of the most largest, well-entrenched, dominant businesses that'll be around for decades to come that, yes, is facing some challenges and all the rest of that kind of stuff, but but it is still likely to deliver a very adequate return. And one, if you prefer uh, income over capital gains, and many people do, particularly in the re retirement phase, that it just seems like a, a no-brainer to walk past despite those those issues. I, I want to leave it just with one quick thought, Andrew, and then we'll move on because we're getting out of time. But very quickly, don't forget, this is a business that added 200,000 mobile customers last year. So no, TPG no, 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 that's, that's last half. Right, so, so TPG turning up into the market doesn't destroy Telstra's mobile business. It may not even see them lose customers. It may just be that TPG's growth comes at the expense of some of Telstra's growth, but it still may well be a profitable and growing business in the future. I, I, I think, think we look at Telstra as a whole business and say, where's the growth coming from? Yeah. Most of their problem is their fixed line business. Yeah. Their mobile business alone is, is a very successful, good, high growth business yeah. for, a, for a market dominant player, as we've said. Yeah. So I, I, I just want to be a little bit careful. We're not saying TPG's entrance will destroy Telstra or even, even I don't think it'll even materially hurt Telstra. What it probably will do is simply reduce the growth potential of that business moving forward. I would also very quickly add to the, the, the other players in here that, that, that aren't um, listed so we, we don't talk about them as much, but Optus and Vodafone, yep. right? So I mean, oh, I wouldn't want to be a Vodafone right now. Oh, you know, they, they're the ones I think that are going to be. I mean, they've already they've done a lot to try and improve their network, but the damage has kind of been done in the public sort of eye and perception that's, that's sort of out there. I, I think that when TPG um, uh, makes a good red hot crack of this, and I think they will, I think they're going to suffer far more than Telstra. So anyway, so what, what, I've said what I think. What do you think? Are you still happy to stay stay on board the Telstra train? Or yeah, is, or, do, or do you bail I'm, at this point? I'm, I'm a buy on Telstra. I think the, the business is, is way too big and way too attractive to, to, to lose at this point. I think the price is attractive. I think the mobile business is still good and I think it'll, it'll still grow reasonably, uh, but I would desperately, desperately not want to be part of Optus or Vodafone right now. Yeah, yeah, fair call. Motley Fool Money. Financial advice for real people, not trust fund hippies. Sign up for the newsletter at fool.com.au forward slash triple M. Let's move on. Now we have to talk about BHP. This is just interesting, I, I think, because of the... Um, the mechanics of it and the investment bankerism. Um, <laughs> maybe with a B, not a W, by the way. Um, uh, so, so in the news we, uh, we had this week, we had this hedge fund uh, out there called Elliott Management, they, su they suggested this plan that was going to unlock all of this value from BHP. It involved demerging or spinning off their petroleum assets, getting rid of the dual listed status shares are listed in uh, London and in Australia, and then spend a bunch of extra cash buying back shares. And that was going to unlock all of this extra value and shares shot up almost 5% on the news. So the question I have for you, Mr. Phillips, is how do I take a, let's use a, a stretched analogy here. Let's take, I, I take a, a, a Lego boat, I pull it to part oh, and I put it back together and somehow I make it worth more. How does that work? <laughs> That Lego boat analogy is one of, the, one of your worst. I got a seven-year-old boy. It's all, it's all about Lego at the moment. So here's the great thing about it, right? You, to, to your point, Andrew, it's like it's like saying, well, if I have a dollar coin mm. and I swap it for two other coins, I can get <laughs> right. I can get a fifty-five and a fifty-five. Yeah. So, well, that doesn't kind of work, right? So yeah, look, here's the problem. Here's the problem with with these sort of businesses, and this is all about the market's stupidity. Let's be mm. let's be very frank. Okay. The businesses are worth what they're worth today, yeah. right? Whether they're together or apart, they are worth what they are worth. Now, somehow, some in the market will say, well, if you have an oil business separate to an iron ore business, then we can rent the value on two different valuations, different multiples, and work their some, some weird black magic and come up with a number that's different to the businesses together, which makes absolutely no sense. 
if if you know you and I put our salaries together and, and split them apart again, we're both worth what we're worth, no matter whether we sold it as a package deal or, or independently. Yeah, right. Now, the, here's the theory. The theory goes that oil businesses trade on a multiple of X, which is higher than BHP's current multiple. Right. So if you split out the oil business, then the market's going to say, ah, oh, we like pure oil businesses more than we like oil plus iron ore businesses. Therefore, it's worth more. And that might even be true mm. if BHP is currently undervalued. And that's the that's the key question, right? It's not so much that splitting them is a bad idea or can't create a higher price. It just shows you the inefficiency and the stupidity of the market saying it's worth more together, sorry, less together than, than separately because of, well, just because it doesn't fit our models. It, it is, it is short-sightedness to the maximum, but it's actually, unfortunately, part of the reality. And there might just be the case that, as in other cases, splitting those businesses apart does actually end up with a higher market value for the two components rather than the business together. Hang on a sec, though. I, I, look, <laughs> I've, I've been around this game for a little while, and I'm, you know... you. The pendulum swings both way on this thing. And there, there will be times where you will see companies merging disparate <laughs> operations together and, and arguing that that has that same kind mm -hmm. of effect as well. And to me, it actually, that makes more sense, right? Because you tend to get a, a greater fractionalization of corporate expenses and marketing and that, you know, get those yeah. so-called scale advantages. So we're yeah. merging together because it's going to unlock, you know, increase all of our value. Uh -huh. And then, and then, you know, then the tide changes and now we're going to split apart and it's going to increase all this. So there's a little bit of truth to all of it, but was it right for, I guess, shares to jump 5% on the back of this news? Well, here's the problem. Like maybe this is, this is, and, and the, we're talking about pricey rather than value. I think this yeah. is the important yeah. part, right? If there, if, if the reality of the market simply is that investors will simply pay more for these things separately than together, then it, it, that's just what the market's going to do. Mm. And so if you knew, if I told you, Andrew, that if you that you could you could take your $2 coin and get two $1 coins and a 10 cent coin, you'd do it in a heartbeat, right? Sure. You'd yeah. say, well, you're stupid, but if you want to do it, of course I'll give you the money. Yeah, you know, if right. I can get a return just by just by doing that and nothing else, yeah, well, yeah. why the hell wouldn't I? Yeah. And so that's kind of what the BHP, those people, and this isn't BHP's proposal, by the way. This is another company saying, well, they've you rejected guys should it. split. Yeah. Right. Yeah, they've rejected and they're doing it exactly for that reason. So that's, that's the first part of the story. They're simply saying, hey, worth more if you split. The market will pay more. If that happens to be true, then... Hey, you want to pay me too much? Then pay me too much. Yeah. I'll take the money. So that makes a little bit of sense. There are other components though to the deal, and this is so. The, Elliot advisors, the mob behind this this kind of uh, ruction, have said that BHP are going to deliver thirty one billion dollars with a B of free cash in the next five years. There's yep. going to be so much cash coming to BHP's coffers over the next five years. Mm. They are going to make out like bandits. Mm. And Elliot advisors said at BHP, you guys are shit at making acquisitions. You guys pay too much. You buy the wrong assets. And you know what? I'm not, I don't want to sit here and let you guys get $31 billion worth of cash to go and splash around on whatever the hell your latest fancy is. I want you to give some of that back. I want more dividends. I don't want share buybacks. I don't trust you. And this is the big one because this is where, and of course, BHP management are going to say no, right? No, no company, no company ever goes, oh, you know what? That's, we didn't think of it, but that's a great idea. It's never, ever happened. Plus, never I, I want to be the CEO or a board of, on the board of directors of a much smaller company. I mean, who, <laughs> exactly. who wants to do that? Oh, it's, it's madness. Anyway, yeah. so look, that, that, that will, you know, the reality is they're, they're simply saying, BHP, we don't trust you guys to spend this money wisely. Mm. We, want, we want to take it back. And that, that's, that's the crux of all of this. The, the spinoff is interesting and will add some value. They want to remove the London listing and bring it back to only be listed in Australia because the franking credits can be better used here. Yep. That makes some sense as well. Mm. But the big one is the $31 billion question, if you like, which is you guys aren't able to be trusted. You've made some bad acquisitions. You've done some dumb things. Yeah. We don't trust you anymore. Give us back the cash as shareholders. Buy back the shares. Increase the dividend. Yeah. BHP saying, no, 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 trust us. We know what we're doing. Yeah. I'm not a big fan of activist investing, generally speaking, mm. as, as, a, as, a, as a principle. But I have mm. to say, in this case, it's hard to argue BHP have covered themselves in glory. And frankly, if someone else says, look, the money's better off in the, in the share, pockets of shareholders, um, I have to say, at some point, you say, well, just sell the shares if you don't like what the company's doing. That, that, that's always the first thing you can do. And simply, yeah. you don't have to keep your shares. 
But if there's value to be generated and, and it's going to be worth more than what BHP might do by themselves, then I've kind of got a little bit of sympathy for where Elliot is coming from. Yeah. But at the same time, though, as, as a company that holds a whole bunch of, by definition, wasting assets, right? The mine just gets a little bit closer to its its ultimate demise every day. You have to reinvest fairly frequently as well. You know, right, if, you, right. if you just take everything you earn and just plow it back to shareholders, eventually you're left with nothing, right? Yeah. And, and, and that is that is the key question. And frankly, it, it's the problem with mining companies. Basically, Elliot Advisor is saying, well, we don't care. Yeah. We still think despite that, you're better to run BHP effectively in runoff. Or, you know, they don't want all of 31 billion, but they want most of it. Mm. They're saying, yes, run down the mines, mm. but give us the cash in the meantime, rather than going and spending that on new, on new mines. Mm. Doesn't mean BHP is smaller and less profitable at some point in the future, probably. Yeah. Elliot advisor saying we don't care. We still think that's a better we'll idea. Present than, day value. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. That's a better idea than letting you guys go and waste it again. All right. Real money advice from real people. Not just a couple of dicks with a Porsche. Get more at fool.com.au forward slash triple M. Okay, well, we better move on. And we had to move on because, you know, my pet topics oh, are on the agenda today. I'll get a chair. But the riot is, so um, we're talking property. <laughs> And uh, Chris Richardson, the everyone, of... everyone listening who's listened to at least two podcasts of ours, Andrew, already knew that, by the way. <laughs> I'm doing it anyway. Um, Chris Richardson, uh, head of uh, Access Economics, Deloitte, uh, Access. Deloitte Access Economics, gave a uh, speech yesterday to the press club. Uh, he, he gave a very stern warning, really, on the state of the Australian economy. He made mention of the fact that we're coming up on our world. We've talked about it previously on the we podcast, the, the world record for uneconomic, longest consecutive uh, streak of unbroken economic growth. Aussie, Aussie, Aussie. That was hard to get out. And um, and, he, and and that that will come to an end and potentially could come to an end rather hard if China sneezes, Australia is going to catch a very, very serious cold. Yep. Uh, which I think is fair. Um, frankly, he did say, I didn't, I'm not expecting this to happen anytime soon, but just the dangers are there. And I think people are fairly blind to that. And he, then he said, moved on to housing and just he, the term he used was dangerously dumb, um, which I've got some sympathy for. <laughs> um, uh, and again, he wasn't making any, unlike a lot of guys out there, he's not making any predictions as to when it's, what's going to happen and when, and by how much and all this stuff, just to sort of say that the risks on the system, uh, are very serious and increasing. And that I think people are a little bit blinkered towards that. What say you, Mr. Phillips, on all of that? Oh, here we go again on long run up. No, look, mm. I think Chris Richardson is probably right. I think the hard part for any, uh, there's two classes of home buyers, right? There's investors and there's, and there's owner occupiers. And I think mm. the reality is if you're going to buy a house you want to live in, you're going to buy it for a long time. You know, I bought a, I bought a place 12 months ago, right? Yep. I bought, sold one place, bought another one, moved house, all good. If that price, if that house falls in value by half of the next two years, I really don't care. Like it just doesn't worry me. You know, well, you weren't buying it to flip it in two years, and I'm going to be living in it for twenty years. So yeah. it's kind of it just doesn't matter. And even if I was going to sell it in two years' time, yeah. I'm going to buy another one in the same market. If, if, if every Sydney house price is down, we live in Sydney. Yeah. If every house price is down over the next two years, and I'm buying another price, another place for half the price it was previously, and selling my place at half the price, yeah. there's still no there's no net change. Yes, I feel a little bit poorer, maybe. Mm. I just don't care. And so yeah. from an investing from for an owner occupying perspective, I should say. I'm happy to pay the price I paid. Maybe it's high, maybe it's low, maybe it's somewhere in between. Mm. I just don't care. Yeah, and you probably haven't you probably haven't geared up to the eyeballs either. So the the mortgage is conservative. If and when interest rates sort of go up, you'll be able to sort of you know you won't be singing, doing cartwheels in the street. But yeah. you know you're not out out on the street either. And here's the thing. So that that's that's owner occupied. For investors, it's a whole different story. Mm. And you're investing in theory because you want to get a some sort of return. Obviously. And you want that return to be in theory as good or better than you can get elsewhere. Totally. And Chris Richardson is pretty much saying. You're pretty much crazy if you're trying to do that because there's very little that can be added to the demand side of housing that has any sort of structural fundamental underpinning. Yeah. He's not saying houses are, can't, can't, can't go up. Yeah. We all know they can, they have, they will. They'll do whatever they're going to do. 
but there's no fundamental underpinning for that. And in fact, the further they go up, the less support there is if they do start to come back down again. If if income's already stretched, if the debt pile's already as big as it can be, mm. if we're all paying as much off as we can afford to based on incomes, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, if we get an economic shock, if we get unemployment go up, if we get house prices come down, if China goes off the boil, if whatever happens, happens, we are so stretched as a society, particularly on the investing side, that it may well be the catalyst for some sort of house price falls, at worst, stagnation at best. Um, and frankly, as an investor, if your options are, maybe, they, maybe they'll fall, maybe they'll stay flat, um, or maybe possibly they keep rising for a little bit longer, the odds get very, very, very skewed against you making money. Mm. Hence, Chris Richardson saying dangerously dumb. I think he's right. Yeah, I, I th obviously think he's, he's totally right as well. I think the other interesting point that he made there was don't expect governments to save you here. Governments yeah. want to save you and they want to save you to save their own skin, right? No, no, one, no politician wants a housing crisis on their watch. Um, very substantial amount of voters have a very, very um, rate this kind of stuff very highly. They will do what they can. And there's already talk, we've talked about it previously, about accessing superannuation, all oh, kind of dumb things that, that you could do. Um, but he's really making the point that there's not a lot that they can do about this. You know, the real, right. the, the big thing here and the thing that's really driven this whole uh, I'm reluctant to use the word bubble, but let's um, exuber exuberance out there um, has been has been plummeting interest rates at these you know right. record lows, and that you know that the, the way to improve affordability is to make prices come down. And what politician is going to want to do that, right? Exactly, exactly. And, and frankly, they may not have the choice. But that's what, exactly why things got to as bad as they are. Because when we feel wealthier, we feel happier. When we feel happier, we're going to vote for the party in power. Yep. Um, no politician worth their political salt is going to do something that's going to cost them votes. They should, by the way, and and. If and when a crash comes, be it on the heads of the Rudd, Gillard, Turnbull governments, quite frankly, yeah. um, this is this is a bipartisan stuff up, yeah. um, to use a kind term. They've let things get way out of control. They haven't done what they should have done as a responsible government to make sure the economy wasn't put at risk. They have they have stood by. They've they fiddled while Rome, if not burns, at least piled up a whole lot of tinder and started you know hitting some hitting some flintstones and hoping nothing went badly. Um, maybe it doesn't burn, but I'll tell you what, if it does, there are, there are governments on both sides of the aisle who should be very ashamed of themselves for letting things get so far out of control. Yeah. We'll finish it up just by sort of saying here again, this isn't a call for a crash or a timing or anything Correct. like that. It's just, please don't make the mistake of extrapolating these recent, very, very strong trends off into the future ad infinitum. It's very, very dangerous. Markets just don't work like that. Indeed. Motley Fool Money. For more, go to fool.com.au forward slash triple M. But Scott, um, we got a, a question from uh, Joe. Uh, we did. Uh, Twitter handle at Joe Curtis 91. I'm tipping Joe as Joe Curtis. And I'm tipping he was born in 91. I think that's a safe bet. Um, thanks, for, thanks for your message, Joe. We really appreciate it. Yes, thank you. Hey, guys, I read an article in this month's Money Mag about using ETFs, that's exchange traded funds. We've talked about them before. We have. To make up your portfolio across asset classes and was keen to hear your thoughts. Do you think using exclusive ETFs across, say, Australian and international shares plus something like a property ETF is a good starting point for beginner investors? Or should you focus on trying to find value with individual shares? Excellent question. What say it, you, Scott? <laughs> Very good question. Here's the thing. We are firm believers in the value of what we call index funds. So ETFs, any, anything can be an exchange traded fund. We could exchange trade Andrew's salary and stock picks if we wanted to. Woo! And well, maybe see how they go. <laughs> well, you, you, can, you can exchange trade fund anything. So an, an ETF isn't a thing necessarily. It just is a structure, right? There are good ones and there are bad ones. There's yeah. double leverage, triple gold focused China, China oil boom, crash opera, et cetera. <laughs> you, can, you can ETF anything, right? We love index funds, and we love index funds that are broad-based index funds that cover a broad swathe of the Australian market. Um, our favorite are the, the broadest of them all. That is the, the, the exchange-traded funds that are index funds on the ASX 200 or the All Lords, 
or the S&P 500 in the US, for example. Really big, really broad, get the whole market return type ETFs. And super cheap. Vanguard, I think, are the gold standard. Yeah. Well, they started the whole thing, right? Right, right, right. Uh, by the way, Jack Bogle, who started all of that, if you ever can come across um, any literature on him, it's very, very well worth um, the read here. Anyway, so I think what we would say is, in fact, I, my sister-in-law just the other week was asking about all this kind of stuff. And my advice was really uh, Vanguard VAS, the ASX top 300, super, super cheap, exposed mm -hmm. to all the same market, plus VGS, which is the, the international version of that. So you get these huge, big international players, your Johnson & Johnson and your Apples and that kind of stuff. Yep. Job done. Um, you know, go play golf or whatever it is that you enjoy doing. You it's got it. super, super easy. And you, yep. we, I could almost guarantee you'll beat most professionals. Yep. So I, we think it's a great idea. Where I think you're going, Scott, is though, where it gets silly, though, is where I think people try to overcomplicate this too much. So yep. they'll say, hey, it's a good idea that you have some exposure to retail and everyone should have some exposure to miners. <laughs> and it's a good idea to have some exposure to that. gold. You know, why? No one actually ever says except that you should, apparently, for some reason. <laughs> Somehow it's inherently smart to, yeah. yeah have you know, I mean, forgetting that the broad-based ETS give you all of that yeah. exposure anyway. So people will try and be a little bit clever and they'll, and they'll grab an ETF and they'll, they'll get a retail one and a gold one and they'll put it together and they'll play around with the weightings. And it kind of... I, to my mind, defeats the purpose. You've, you've got a much more complicated portfolio than what you would want as, a, as an ETF investor. And it really comes down to you having to sort of pick these macro trends in terms of which sectors are going to be performing best over the next few years. It's a mugs game, I think. And if you're going to do that, you might as well be picking individual stocks. You might as well pick the individual stocks. And right? we do yeah. think for what it's worth that, you know, that, that is worth doing. So, you know, we, do, we are fans of picking individual stocks. We think we can do it relatively well. So far, so good. Um, but in terms, of the, in terms of the thing, if you're for a beginning investor, and you want to put some money to work in a really broad, diversified way, picking a couple of index ETFs that Andrew has mentioned is a fantastic way to start. Um, and then you can start your journey individual stocks if and if you, you choose. Do, you if can you, do it if you're at the same time, it. right? Yeah, right, exactly. start, start you put 80% into an ETF, maybe have a um, uh, get a bit more interest and dip your toe into the water by doing the stock specific kind of stuff. Yep. I would also say, we've touched on it before too. For me, I think um, it, it comes down to a general interest in this kind of stuff. If yep. you're not the kind of person who's interested in it, there's no, what, why, why drag yourself to do something that you hate, that you find confusing, that is emotionally frustrating? It's never gonna, it's never gonna be, you know, a, a pleasurable experience. If, however, it's something you, you find this this process fascinating, you enjoy it, you like learning about how businesses work and which ones are likely to perform well in the future, and all of this kind of stuff, we think it's we think it's wonderful, and and there are absolutely incredible rewards to it. Just understand that you know it, it, this isn't something you're just going to throw some darts at the dartboard and, you know, buy a Ferrari next week, which unfortunately is the, the way a lot of people approach it. Get rich quick doesn't work. Get rich slow works almost every time as Sadly, long as you do it carefully. Yeah, unfortunately. Um, look, that pretty much wraps it up. We better go. Thank you so much for listening as always. Indeed. Remember, you can subscribe uh, to us here, the Triple M Motley Fool Money Podcast through iTunes or your favorite Android podcast app. Uh, and give us five-star rating if you could. Also, too, don't forget to go to www.fool.com.au forward slash triple M. You can sign up to Motley Fool Tech Stock, our regular newsletter, and find out a little bit more about our premium services as well. One run by Andrew, one by me, and then some of our colleagues as well. Um, well worth the money, we think, but you come and have a look and see what you think worth for yourselves. every cent, and my more. friend. <laughs> Thank you very much, everyone. Full on. Thanks, Wills. Full on. The Motley Fool and people appearing in this program may have positions in the companies mentioned. General advice only. Please speak to your financial professional to understand how it may pertain to your situation. Subscribe to the free newsletter at fool.com.au forward slash triple M. The Motley Fool operates under financial services license 400691.